All right, you can open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. This is continuing a topic from last week, so it's going to be a topical message, not an expository message. So uh, you may be flipping around in the book of Matthew. Uh, also, Justin will help us with Scripture on the screen as well. In September, we are going to begin with Sunday evening services. And I have to make a confession of hypocrisy. Because in the membership class, I was criticizing the consumeristic church model that's kind of overtaken us here. And I, I kind of put a dig in at the phrase, let's do life together. Then it occurred to me that when I put together our advertisement for our Sunday evening services, I think I, I just absolutely used the phrase, let's learn to do life together. Um, so I either need to change what I teach or I need to change the graphic. I don't know. Uh, but we tried to use the acronym LIFE, which is Love, Intercession, Fellowship, and Encouragement. And so our desire is that Sunday evenings going to be a little bit different. We're going to have worship uh, together, but we're also going to pray for some of those in our church directory together. We're going to spend a time reflection after our Sunday morning service. So maybe we'll have some um, application questions or something from the Sunday morning sermon. Uh, but it's going to be a good time of fellowship together as a church family happening on Sunday evenings starting in September. And so I would really like to see that take off as part of our just routine where we do Sunday morning and Sunday evening. I know not everybody will be able to make it, um, and we are doing that in lieu of our Wednesday evening service. So there are, uh, this past Wednesday was our last Wednesday evening service. We finished 1 Corinthians. We went uh, through every chapter of 1 Corinthians in an inductive manner where we did uh, application, interpretation, observation questions for each chapter. And we just finished 1 Corinthians this past Wednesday. And uh, now we are pausing our Wednesdays. We're going to move to Sunday evenings. And so I hope you could be a part of that. And Sunday mornings are limited sometimes as far as church life is concerned. And uh, I know you have some moments after the service to get to know each other. Uh, but it's, uh, I think a Sunday evening setting is going to help us forge relationships even to a greater degree. So I hope you could be a part of that. And that eventually can become integral to our uh, ministry here at Calvary. So September is when that's going to happen. Okay. Matthew, imagine for a moment that you're walking down the road and you see a police officer coming towards you. And I know if, you're, if you are like me, if you're driving and you see a police officer in your rearview mirror, you automatically get nervous. And you may be going the speed limit. You might have your seatbelt on. You've done everything perfectly. But just having the police officer there in your rearview mirror makes you nervous. And maybe even try to find, you know what? I wasn't planning on getting a coffee, but now's a great time to pull into Tim Hortons, right? Uh, uh, and imagine if you're walking down the sidewalk and there's a police officer walking towards you. And you know, I wonder what he's after. And he seems like he's actually trying to make eye contact with you. And suddenly he says to you, stop. You're under arrest. You're going to be shocked, you're going to be surprised, might even be a little bit frightened. Now think for a moment that you're walking down the street and coming towards you is a uh, well, 13-year-old girl. And she's walking towards you and she looks and she says, stop, you're under arrest. In one scenario, that's a fearful situation. In the other scenario, it's a joke. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? What makes the difference is a matter of authority, a matter of authority. A police officer has been deputized by the state. He has a delegated authority, and he has power to arrest. He has power to arrest, and he has power to release. 
He holds handcuffs, and he's got the keys to those handcuffs. The police officer has been entrusted with the task of bringing the greater authority of the state to bear upon its citizens. The passing teenager doesn't have any such authority. Well, Jesus said, as we saw last week in Matthew 16, he says to Peter, and ultimately the church, I will give you the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What what was that? What did we see last week? And this is what we're going to do. We're going to continue from last week. What Jesus did in Matthew chapter 16 is he entrusted Peter. He entrusted Peter and by extension, as we're going to see, the church. With what? Authority. He entrusted Peter and the church with authority over the kingdom. Over the kingdom of heaven to bear his word and his authority and as a result, the church now has the authority to what? What did we say last week? To make declarative statements regarding who has found salvation and forgiveness and who is still bound in their sin. The church has authority to say, you are free. You're free from your sin. You're free from condemnation. And the church has authority to say, you are now, uh, or the authority to say, you are still bound in your sin. And so Jesus speaks words to Peter and to the other disciples upon what? What did we say last week? Upon hearing their confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he promises that he's going to build his church, and with that promise comes the authority uh, to do so. What he indicates by giving them the power to bind and loose is that the church building project that he is going to Uh, produce or carry out would require a delegated authority to be exercised uh, by the apostles and by extension the church. And that's what we said last week is the keys of the, uh, what we call the keys of the kingdom. As we learned, these keys were nothing short of the authority to act as administrators of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And what I want us to understand, what I hope that becomes integral to our culture at Calvary Baptist Church is the understanding that we collectively, when we gather have that authority to exercise those keys of the kingdom. With those keys, the church would have the power to make declarative truth claims regarding who is saved and who is not. With the authority of the keys of the kingdom, the gathered body has the authority to declare who is in the kingdom and who is not. This is the same authority which Peter exercised on the day of Pentecost. Remember last week we saw his authoritative sermon there where he demanded repentance for men and promised the forgiveness of sins. And so that phrase in Matthew 16 and then in Matthew 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and so on, that binding and loosing, this is the authority to declare who is part of the church of Jesus Christ and who is not. The authority of the keys of the kingdom may allow for more than that, but definitely not less. This is authority which has been entrusted to the members, as we're going to see, of every genuine church. And so, the question this morning, what do those keys unlock? And so, I know that we're kind of rushing through this, and I didn't start you in a passage. I'm I'm depending on you remembering Matthew 16 and 18 that we saw in the past few weeks, and we are going to touch on them in a moment. The keys of the kingdom, what do they unlock? What do they actually bind and loose? Well, the uh, the, 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 the key is in the name. The clue is in the name. These are the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These keys are nothing less than the authority to act as co-regents of the king in the kingdom. 
And so through the keys of the kingdom that, remember, Jesus gives to Peter and trust to Peter, which I believe is representing the apostles collectively, through these keys, the apostles operating with the authority of Jesus were to have the power to declare who could enter the kingdom and who could not. They would have the authority to teach what was and what was not true doctrine. They would have the authority to declare what was and was not consistent with a kingdom ethic. They would be given authority to share the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. All that delegated from Jesus to the apostles, the apostles then being foundational to the church, the church then being invested with the same authority. Well, these are keys given by Jesus to Peter. Which indicates to us that before these keys are given to Peter, who then, with the other apostles, would be foundational to the church, it indicates that Jesus himself possessed those keys. So what I want to do for a moment, as we kind of flip through some pages of Matthew, is look at Jesus himself and how he exercised authority over the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, what did he say? Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. With the arrival of Jesus in his earthly ministry, he could announce the kingdom of heaven has come. And he could also announce how you must enter in. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Matthew chapter 5, you know the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus with authority, the Bible says, sees the crowds and he opens his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there Jesus Christ is exercising authority, declaring who it is who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my account. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And with that, Jesus with authority stood before others and said, this, this is the character, the nature of those who enter into the kingdom. This was astonishing to those who heard him. Because this was an authority that was never before spoken by the scribes and the Pharisees. And so he declares with authority who will and who will not inherit the kingdom. He's really also teaching a kingdom ethic. This is the character of those who are kingdom citizens. Matthew 5.20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is shocking. This is revolutionary. The generation of those that existed when Jesus Christ carried out his earthly ministry were those who lived under the corrupt religious system of the Pharisees and the scribes. They were those who would teach, but they wouldn't teach with authority. In fact, the Bible says that they actually shut up the door of the kingdom of heaven and they threw away the key. Matthew chapter 7, which is a passage of very special, special interest because Jesus now is exercising a level of authority heretofore not, not seen. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying there is, first of all, the assumption is that one must say, Lord, Lord, to Christ in order to enter the kingdom. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, so it's not just lip service, 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now listen, look what it says in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus is teaching in such a way where he says, you want to be saved. Would you like to enter the kingdom of heaven? You must come through me. You must repent. You must declare me to be Lord. You must continue on and keep my commandments. That's the way you enter. He's saying, I'm the gate. I'm the door. You have to come through me. And that was shocking. And so Jesus is setting himself up as the exclusive means of entrance into the kingdom. If anybody would come into the kingdom, they must be his disciple. And the same is true today. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you have some some religious sense, some religious background, but the reality is Jesus is the exclusive means of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Christ and Christ alone. What was astonishing to the crowds was that Jesus spoke with authority, as if he had authority over the kingdom, because he did standing at the gate of the kingdom, determining who could come in and who could not. Entrance into the kingdom was entirely dependent upon how some responded to him. Matthew chapter 8. After seeing the faith of a Gentile centurion, in Matthew 8.10, it says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. An amazing passage, because here Jesus came to bring salvation to the Jews. And salvation wouldn't be open to the Jews until after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit and the launching of the church. But we get to see little previews and hints here and there during his earthly ministry. And what he's signaling here is that with the authority I have over the kingdom, I'm going to open it wide open, even to the Gentiles. Not only that, but I'm going to exclude some of those who, sons of the kingdom, those Jews by ethnicity who don't have saving faith will be excluded. What authority? What authority? Not only did Jesus exercise authority over who could enter and who could not enter, who would be included and who would be excluded, but he even exercised authority over who could understand the secrets of the kingdom. So that in Matthew 13, when the disciples come to him and say to Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? Why is everything in parables? Just speak plainly. And Jesus says in Matthew 13, 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In other words, I am the arbiter. I will reveal the secrets to whom I choose to reveal the secrets. What authority? 
Matthew 13, Jesus continues with parable after parable after parable, revealing the nature of the kingdom of heaven, what's required to enter in. He even warned in verse 40 and 42 of Matthew 13 that he would come in judgment against those who were intruders in the kingdom. And so, summarize this. Jesus authoritatively preached the good news of the arrival of the kingdom. Jesus declared what was necessary to enter into the kingdom. Jesus declared a kingdom ethic, describing the character of those who were citizens of the kingdom. Jesus declared who would enter the kingdom. Jesus declared who would not be permitted to enter the kingdom. Jesus performed miracles indicative of the coming of the kingdom. Jesus revealed the mysteries of the kingdom. Jesus warned about judgment against those who were intruders in the kingdom. Jesus foretold when the kingdom would come in its fullness. Jesus presented himself as the door to the kingdom uh, through which all men must enter. That's the authority of Jesus Christ over the kingdom of heaven. So, when Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, after he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven has. And he says, You're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is he saying? All the authority that I have over the kingdom... I'm going to give to you in the form of these keys, Peter, and the other apostles. They then would go on to become foundational to the church, and that same authority would be invested in the gathered church. By passing the keys of the kingdom of heaven to the apostles, he's entrusting them with the authority to declare. Now listen, because this becomes practical here. With the authority to declare, one, that the kingdom had come. They could declare how one must enter the kingdom. They could declare the citizen, the character of the citizens of the kingdom. They could share the mysteries of the kingdom. They would have the authority to declare who is excluded from the kingdom and warn about coming judgment against those who are intruders in the kingdom or who are outside the kingdom. And so the apostles became the recipients of the keys of the kingdom of the authority from Jesus or the kingdom of heaven itself. Now, although, now you can turn to this passage, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. And for your visitor with us this morning, that's a sigh of relief. Is this guy ever going to tell us to turn to a passage? Well, there you have it. Matthew 28, verse 16. Although in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. When do we actually see those keys being handed over? Matthew 28. Jesus dies for us on the cross. He's buried, rises on the third day, ascends to the Father, rises on the third day, I should say, makes his post-resurrection appearances. In the last words of Jesus to his disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we're witnessing there is Jesus actually handing the keys of the kingdom over to his apostles. And what does he start by saying? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have all authority. Why would he say that? Because the task he's about to give to the disciples required a delegated authority. They needed an authority from Jesus to do what Jesus was going to tell them to do. And what did he tell them to do? All authority has been given to me, so what? Go. On the basis of the authority that I have, go and do what? Make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, you're going to teach. You're going to baptize. You're going to continue and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. The point is the Great Commission in Matthew 28 requires an incredible authority. Have you thought about this? Have you shared the gospel with your friend and realized that you're telling them with divine authority, this is what must happen if you want to enter heaven, the kingdom of heaven? Have you thought about that authority? Have you thought about the authority that's exercised every time we baptize somebody? And we say with the authority of heaven that you are united with Christ? You are a Christian and we affirm that? Have you thought about the authority that's exercised when we welcome somebody into church membership? When we affirm their testimony, their salvation uh, testimony, and say, we affirm your testimony, we welcome you into this covenant community, do you understand that's an exercise of authority? We all recognize it's an, it's an exercise of authority when we get to Matthew 18, and we have to put somebody out of the church. But have you recognized the authority simply preaching the gospel? This is an authority given by Jesus, to his disciples, for the purpose of the Great Commission. And so, Jesus, having attained all authority, delegates this. Think for a moment again of the implications. The authority that would be necessary to carry out that Great Commission. We as the church, collectively, have the authority given to us by Christ to determine what is and what is not genuine repentance. We can't see somebody's heart. We can only judge by fruit, but we are asked to judge by fruit. We have the authority to to determine if someone has genuinely received Jesus as Savior and Lord. Really? Yes. We grant or we withhold baptism. We have the authority to determine whether or not one should be added to the fellowship of the church. We have the authority to teach the commands of Jesus with the authority of Jesus. We have the authority to teach disciples to observe all of Christ's commands. And, frankly, to help them understand where they have failed to keep Christ's commands. And I say we, what am I saying? The church, collectively, the gathered body. And so the disciples then, having, been, having received the keys of the kingdom, became the doorkeepers of the kingdom of heaven. They wielded the keys. They preached the gospel with power and authority. They performed miracles that lent authority to their preaching. They preached salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus alone. They demanded that would-be disciples would repent and be baptized. They exercised judgment upon false teachers and those who threatened the church. They purged the church of sin. They received revelation from God and taught the mysteries of the kingdom. They interpreted the scriptures in light of Jesus and established what was and what was not sound Christian theology. They did all of that. 
And as we read through the New Testament, we find that the apostles exercised all that authority, and God blessed them for it, and then they went on to do what? Through that authority, they built the church, and then they trained the church how to wield those same keys. They trained the church to wield those same keys. Now, let's define the church again. A church is a group of baptized believers who regularly gather together and organize assemblies with a commitment to live out their discipleship in the context of loving relationships, continuing together in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and prayer, and the practice of the ordinances under the oversight of appointed leadership. And that's the church that the apostles built. That's the church that is the product of them taking that authority of the keys and faithfully executing the Great Commission. In addition to making disciples and organizing them into local assemblies, again, as I said, the disciples would go on to teach the churches how to exercise that same authority. So, believe it or not, this morning, if you're a believer, and I would say if you're a believer and if you're a member of a local church, you have the authority to wield Jesus' keys of the kingdom. You have that authority. Now, I jokingly said something earlier about being critical of a consumeristic approach to church life in our membership class. And I think that what we've seen over the last two years, one of the reasons why some churches are having such a hard time getting people to come back is because prior to COVID, there's a church culture which was so consumeristic that it was easily duplicated by a large screen TV in your living room. Because if you have a 65-inch HD TV with surround sound... And you could sit at home and you could listen to the worship and you could sing along with it and then you could just download the information from the sermon if you can do that at home. And that's all you were doing in church. Well, you've just duplicated the exact same experience in your living room. And why in the world would I go there where I actually have to put some pants on? And then church opens up again and say, you know what? I'm I'm just as blessed as I was going to church right here in my living room. And you know, the reality is they are reproducing exactly what they were getting in church, sadly. But we're learning from this. This is a biblical vision, Jesus' biblical vision for church life. The church is an embassy of the kingdom. The church is an outpost. We are those who have been entrusted by Jesus as the arbiters or the administrators of the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is authority and responsibility. That must be exercised, far from consumerism. And so now, just to remind you, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says to Peter, On this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Who did he entrust them to there? Peter. And I think the apostles collectively. And you say, well, there you go. Peter clearly is the first pope. And upon him, the church is going to be built. But when do we actually see an instance or an illustration of those keys actually being used? Now, Matthew 28, we looked in the future and we see that that's when Jesus actually delegated that authority and gave the keys in Matthew 28. But in Matthew 18, and this is what started this whole conversation a few weeks ago, in Matthew 18, we actually see Jesus showing us a scenario in which the keys will be exercised and is very, very telling. 
Because in Matthew 18, remember, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Who, who's exercising the keys? Is it just Peter? It's the church. It's the church. Not only is it the church, it's the gathered church. And so we don't have vigilante Christians out there saying, I got the keys. <laughs> this is the collective body gathered together with the authority of Jesus so that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. And so although the apostles powerfully wielded Christ's kingdom authority, it's actually the gathered congregation and any particular local church that has the ultimate authority to wield the keys of the kingdom. The apostles, as foundational to the church, were given the task of establishing and training local churches on how to properly execute uh, or exercise those keys. And so that's us this morning. Just as the apostles exercise authority in establishing Christian doctrine, the local church has been given authority to teach and to discern what is proper Christian teaching. Just as the apostles proclaim the gospel of repentance and faith with authority, so, the church, so too the church has been mandated to preach the same. Just as the apostles exercise authority in affirming genuine professions of faith by baptizing, uh, so too the church has been charged with the same responsibility. Just as the apostles exercise the authority to determine who belonged and who did not belong to the kingdom, so too the church has been granted that same authority. So taking all those things together, we can boil the authority of the keys of the kingdom down to this. The keys of the kingdom are the authority to declare who is a genuine Christian and what is authentic Christian doctrine. This is the authority to declare who is in the kingdom and who is not practically You could say it's the authority over a church's membership and a church's statement of faith. That definition is affirmed when we look at, again, the Great Commission. Make disciples by baptizing. So you've got to determine who's a genuine believer and who's not. And then teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Make disciples and teach. That's your membership and your statement of faith, we could say. And so we see the authority to determine, again, who's a genuine believer since we baptize. The authority to determine what is Christian doctrine since we must teach. And so Jesus' kingdom... And Notice in all of this, as we're talking about the kingdom, and we're talking about the authority of the church, what are we talking about? We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about baptism. We're talking about teaching. We're talking about membership. We're talking about discipline. We're talking about statement of faith. This is what we're talking about. Nowhere in anything we've seen here have we spoken about the authority of the church to bring the authority of Jesus to bear upon our secular culture, to reform our secular culture in order to usher in the kingdom. Have you noticed the absence of that? Probably shouldn't have mentioned that. It's not my notes. But have you noticed as we talk about the kingdom, the authority of the church is confined to the realm, those categories that we've spoken about in the last two weeks. That's the kingdom. That's where our authority lies. 
And we have tremendous authority to exercise in that realm, within that sphere. That's your calling and that's mine. If you're a member of Calvary Baptist Church, you have that authority. When you gather together with your fellow believers. You've got to take it seriously. Authority and responsibility. No sound doctrine. Learn good theology. Learn to discern what is and what, what, is, not, what is not Christian doctrine. Take up your responsibility to train up others and to teach them in the faith. As we said in our membership class this morning, find somebody or some people and come alongside of them and walk with them in their Christian perseverance and so that you can help them so that they can be found blameless before Jesus at his coming. Teach, disciple, evangelize. It's your responsibility. And when at Calvary Baptist Church we say somebody's going to be baptized, you say, could I read their salvation testimony? Somebody comes and they're going to join the church and you say, could, 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 we, hear, could we hear their profession of faith? When it comes to the sad situation where we have to confront somebody over their sin, you as a congregation say, collectively, we need to implore this person and intervene in this person's life. And if it comes down to that sad situation where they're unrepentant, proving themselves to be an unbeliever, then you collectively, as a church body, we collectively then take that hard step and say, we can no longer affirm their profession of faith. That's hard stuff. But it's authority and responsibility that's been delegated to the church in the form of the keys of the kingdom. So it's the church that stands at the repository of Jesus' kingdom authority on earth. It's the church which has been granted heavenly sanctioned authority to affirm the heavenly citizenship of some and reject the citizenship claims of others. Churches are designed by Jesus and established by the apostles to be curators and caretakers of the kingdom of heaven on earth while we await the return of the king. So in conclusion, every local church has been entrusted with heavenly authority and earthly responsibility. Heavenly authority and earthly responsibility to make disciples. This means that they have the authority to boldly proclaim the gospel, calling men to repent and baptize. The responsibility to baptize requires a further authority to determine and declare who appears to be a genuine believer and who does not. Making disciples also entails teaching these newly baptized men and women to continue in the faith, following the commands and the instructions of Jesus himself. This requires a heavenly authority to declare what is and what is not genuine Christian teaching and lifestyle. This requires a church to be willing to call out false teachers in the church as well as to confront those who are not living as Jesus and the apostles commanded. In the areas in which the keys of the kingdom are to be exercised, the church has binding authority. This means that when a congregation acts consistent with the Lord's judgment on a matter, it carries heavenly backing. What we bind on earth is bound in heaven. What we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And as we even consider church membership... We don't think of joining a church like joining a club. We don't think of joining a church like joining any other social group. We think of it as obeying Jesus' design for his people to gather in committed relationships in order to act together as his representatives on earth. We should think of it as a matter of taking up the responsibilities which he has delegated to the church. You could think of church membership as the taking up even of an office, which bears an important authority and responsibilities. You could even think of it as a gathering with your fellow kingdom citizens and acting as an embassy of the kingdom here on earth. An embassy which brings King Jesus' authority over the heavenly spiritual kingdom to bear upon the world. 
That's what it is to be the church. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, as we've been saying, Jesus stands as the door. He stands as the gate. Nobody comes into the kingdom except through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and uh, no one can be saved except through him. And so, if you would enter the kingdom of heaven, you must repent and exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior, the only one who can save you from your sin. He's the only Lord. So confess Him as Savior, submit to Him as Lord, express that to God in faith, and that God-given faith, on the basis of that, you can be assured that you have entered the kingdom. Enter the kingdom here in a spiritual, in a spiritual sense, you're going to enter the kingdom uh, later on in an eternal sense as well. And so this morning, if you're not yet saved, come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Enter the kingdom, only through Him. Was that an authoritative statement? Yeah. Preach the exclusivity of Jesus? Absolutely. Do we have the authority to say that? Absolutely we do. Not just me, all of us. Let's take that authority and fulfill that great commission. Let's be the church that Jesus has designed us to be. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your wise design. Lord, what a sad state we're in as we have relegated the church to just some other form of social gathering entertainment-laden, flippant, consumeristic. When we consider your design for the church, we're, we are your kingdom citizens. We are, have a delegated authority. We stand as an embassy of the coming kingdom. Lord, help us to take up our authority and responsibility. I pray that Calvary Baptist Church would be a place where we could teach and preach and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry would see the building up of the body and doctrinal stability and loving unity and spiritual maturity and sacrificial service. I pray that we could project the authority of Jesus upon the culture, not to reform, not to reform institutions, but to project the authority of Jesus on the culture to call men and women to repent and to enter the kingdom of heaven. So help us as a church to be the church of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would just continue to allow us to be on the front lines of seeing your kingdom being built. We understand that regardless of what's happening in the culture all around us, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. So Lord, we thank you, and uh, we recognize that even if the governmental system, even if the cultural uh, zeitgeist is, uh, uh, seems to be moving further and further away from biblical morality and biblical design. That says nothing about the health or welfare of the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church, and he will build his church in whatever culture he desires to build his church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have that faith and that confidence to continue to use his means Help us preach the gospel. Help us to exercise our responsibility within the church. And then, Lord, we pray for any this morning who are not yet Christians. Pray that they would see their need for Jesus, see their need to repent of their sin and to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're continuing to save people, continuing to call men and women to yourself, continuing to make disciples. Just help us to be wise stewards, faithful stewards, using your means uh, to evangelize and to see others come to the faith. We pray this morning for those who are not yet saved. 
work on their heart, convict them of their sin, bring them to Christ. And then we pray this morning for those who, those of us who maybe have had a less than biblical conception of church life. I pray that you divest us of conception of church that is a product of our culture. We pray that we could reform our idea of church through Scripture. So help us as a local body to be faithful. More and more, help us to just move in the direction of your design for the church. Help us to see our faults and failures. Just help us be faithful, all by your grace. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you especially for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the church that he's building. In his name that we pray. Amen.